0: What is brotherly kindness? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at an example of God's kindness to someone in 2 Samuel chapter 9 in just a moment. Then we're going to look at Ephesians 4 and look through some basic behaviors in exercising brotherly kindness. Okay? All right. Ephesians 4, and let's just look at verse number 30, or read 30, 31, 32. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And let's pray together as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to love you today, to worship you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for speaking to us. God, I pray that we would not just come to gain some knowledge of your word but that we would come to truly meet with you. You promised that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that you would be there in the midst of us. And Lord, I know you're here now. Lord, I feel your presence. I know you, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Help me, help us. Lord, I pray for the one or two or three or those who may be listening to the recording later who have never yet placed their faith and trust in you. Lord, whatever it is they're holding on to that is stopping them from trusting you, I pray that they would see that it's not worth it. They would turn loose from that and trust you as their savior. God, for those of us who are saved, I pray that we would grow in this area of brotherly kindness. Help us to clearly see your example and help us, Lord, then to... Have the power to do this for one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brotherly kindness is specifically talking about the kindness that we show to other believers. Now generally when we think about kindness, we think about just being a nice person or being a good person. And that certainly is true. Be kind. And that's good. And that's right. And we should be kind. But specifically in our series, when we're talking about 2 Peter 1 and verse number 7, when it says, to add to our faith, and verse 7 says, and to godliness, we studied that last week, brotherly kindness. It's talking about Philadelphia, right? The Greek word. It's talking about brotherly love or brotherly kindness. We find this in John chapter 13. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, he says he's going to give them a new commandment. And it says in John 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also loved one another. So he's saying, I want you to love one another. This is the example I've given you. I want you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you, in a sacrificial way. Verse 35 says, John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He said, it's not by your ethnicity, thank God, because through the cross of Christ, he comes and he saves anyone who comes to him in humility, reaching out to him for salvation, believing in their heart that he is God's son. It's not by our ethnicity. It's not by our clothing. It's not by um, any other thing. It's not by perhaps how much wealth we have. Any other thing that someone might be able to look at perhaps Another religious group and say, oh, they're probably that because of this. And there's something that we can see or some way that they conduct themselves. And we say they're probably this religion. Jesus said the way that people are going to know that you are Christians is by the way that you treat other Christians. He even goes so far in first John. If we go to first John, I'm flipping through a lot of verses. You can listen to these as I read them if you would like and we'll get to the other examples here in just a moment. It says in 1 John 3 and verse number 14, we know, this is a powerful verse, guys, this. We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother... Abideth in death. Now it's specifically talking about Christian love towards other Christians. Now remember, when you're reading First Number, uh, First John, it's a description of the new birth. It means that just like if you were to look at someone and say, "Okay, you're alive." How do we know that? Well, they have brain function, they're breathing, they they're hungry, and there's a lot of different indications. So when you're looking at First John chapter or First John, the whole book of First John. It's describing if you are saved, then this characteristic is true of you. Now, again, the characteristic is there, but he also commands it, which means we need to grow in that grace. But listen, the capability to love Christians is not there for a lost person, an unsaved person, the way it is for a saved person. This is one of the things that God changes in our heart When we trust Christ as a, as our savior, he says, if you've passed from death unto life, let me ask you that question. Have you passed from death unto life? The Bible says for all have sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We are sinners in the sight of God. We may look at one another and say, I'm a good person. We may think I'm a good person. I can't believe God would think I'm not a good person The question is not what we think. The question is not our viewpoint. The question is, what does God see in me? And what he sees is that we are broken by sin. It is our nature to sin. We have to teach children to do right. We don't have to teach them to do wrong. Children, naturally, if we leave them alone, will do the wrong thing. The Bible says in Proverbs that a child left to himself brings his mother to shame, right? Right? And naturally left to our own selves, we bring God to shame. God is, he, 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 he sees us as sinners, but he doesn't leave us that way. He sent his son to die for us, to redeem us unto himself, to buy us back. He wants us back. It's as if a child kind of escaped from home and they're out there and they're just wandering through the streets. And then someone comes and finds them and says, I want to adopt you into my family. But that young person has to be willing to say yes. Yes, I will let you adopt me. Yes, I will come into your house and live by your rules. Yes, I accept you as my adopted parents. And that's the way God looks at us. He's prepared everything for us to wash away our sin. The practice of religion cannot wash our sin away. It's impossible for us to do some kind of outward ritual whereby we can wash away our our sin. It's through faith. In Christ alone faith in Christ alone and when we do that the Bible says we passed from death unto life from spiritual death unto spiritual life and one of the indicators that we pass from death unto life is that we now have a desire to love the brethren and we'll talk specifically about what that means but I would like to take a moment And let's go to the uh, passage listed on the screen, 2 Samuel. Now, I'm telling you what, if you've never heard this story, this is a story. 2 Samuel chapter number nine. Oh, man, I love this here. This is good stuff. 2 Samuel 9, there in the New Testament. Now, we know this. When we look at King David, now King David was a person, a historical person, person in the Bible. But many times when we look at Old Testament stories, we can see where it's kind of like a picture, right? It's kind of like a photograph. It's kind of like a, a, a painting, almost like a story that says, oh man, I can see Jesus in that. And that's what we're about to look at here, is we're going to look at a story of King David And we can see, man, that's just like Jesus. Now, King David was the second king of Israel. The first king, his name was Saul, King Saul. He started out good, but man, did he go sour. He disobeyed God on numerous occasions. His heart was bitter and angry, disobedient to God, no longer in aligned with God's heart. And he started to go off in his own direction. And when he started to do that, God said, I'm going to go and instead of instead of the kingship of Israel being passed on from King Saul to his sons and so on and so forth. I'm going to go find another king. I'm going to go find another family where this king will follow me. And we know that that man that he found, actually, was a boy at the time. His name was David. And that story is further back. We're not going to take the time to go there. But Saul was still alive. He was in his 40s or so, at least when he was was first king. David was a teenager. But David had been anointed or chosen to be the next king instead of Saul's son. And so Saul was so angry and so jealous of what God had done for David that Saul, on several occasions, tried to kill David. David would come in and play the harp for him to soothe him, to soothe his spirit and calm him down. He was serving the king. He asked him to, to come in and play the harp for him. And Saul's heart was so enraged with jealousy and envy. The Bible said he had a javelin in his hand. Always beware if someone's got a javelin in their hand. Right? Or a javelin in their tongue too, Right? And when he saw David, he's he's throwing a spear, a javelin at him. Happened on several occasions. Tried to kill him. Even to the point where then David has to leave town. And he's running around the countryside, hiding from his king that he was not disloyal to him. Living in caves, living like 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 a fugitive. Saul's hunting him like a wild rabbit, just trying to find him and kill him. He's got, he's got special forces out there. He's got his special troops trying to find David, and he can't find him. God protected him the whole time. Well, eventually, King Saul dies in battle. And here's the thing. Saul also had a son, and his name was Jonathan. And though King Saul hated David, Jonathan and David were the very, very best of friends. They loved one another. They had this bond of brotherly love. They absolutely enjoyed each other's company. They protected one another. They looked out for one another. And so David said, I will always look out for you and your children, knowing that he would be the next king. Well, the day came when King Saul and his son Jonathan died in battle. And it was that day... This is years later that now, obviously, the kingdom has gone from Saul's house to David. David's now the king. So this is kind of where we're at right now is David has been the king for a little bit now. He's been several, several years into his reign as king. And we get to this incredible story of 2 Samuel chapter number nine. And David said, verse one, is there yet any that is left? Of the house of Saul. Now, guys, when we talk about David here, it is impossible to read this story and not think about Jesus. Is Jesus our king? (laughs) If you're saved, Jesus is your king. He is the king of his spiritual kingdom. The hearts of everyone who has ever trusted him as Savior, he is our king. He said this before Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. Amen. He is the king and the Lord of all who have trusted him as savior. And so David says this in his kingship, everything seems to be going well in his kingdom. And he says, is there any of the house of Saul? Isn't it interesting? He says, of the house of Saul. He doesn't say of the house of Jonathan, because that's really kind of where his heart was but he expanded it to the house of saul there is no logical reason why 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 jesus should, should show kindness to you and i we by nature are more of the house of saul than of the house of jonathan we are more more rebels against him we're the ones that want to do him harm. We're the ones that by nature, we, we, the sin nature just loves to sin and loves to get away with it. David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was in the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba, And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. The king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, And the king said unto him, Where is he? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Emiliel, and Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Emiliel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually you guys have to remember, at this day and time, in this time period, anybody that remained alive from the previous family that ruled was considered to be a threat. Back in this time, if a son, especially a son, was alive... The current king, most of the time, would hunt down anybody that was still living and kill them so that they could not lay claim to the throne. So that they could not rally the people in that country who might would still be loyal to their house. But we see the kindness of David here. That when he comes to Mephibosheth, he comes to him in kindness. Now you've got to imagine. Let's just look at Mep- at Mephibosheth here just for a second. He lived in this out of the way place in obscurity. He lived in obscurity. He lived on the other side of the Jordan River. He kind of lived alone. He kind of lived with somebody else. He's kind of helpless. Uh, we, we find the story earlier in 2 Second, Second Kings where when he found out that King Saul was killed, of course, that's his grandfather, and Jonathan, his father, was killed, the Bible says that his nurse picked him up and tried to run away from the palace in fear. And she accidentally dropped him in such a way that broke both of his legs and he was lame for the rest of his life because of a mistake that someone else had made. Here he is, he hadn't chosen his grandfather. Saul was his grandfather, a wicked man. He started out good, but ended up bad. He hadn't chosen this lameness. He was five years old. He didn't choose that, it happened to him. And all of a sudden, here comes some messengers, and they're coming across the Jordan River, and they're coming towards his house. And you can imagine here he is—he's sitting on a pallet, no doubt, and he's—and he perhaps he's sitting out in the sun, and he's seeing the messengers come up. Maybe they're on horses, or maybe they're walking. But it's obviously some kind of a royal embassy, um, and they're coming out there, and 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 he's thinking, oh no, the king found me. Here I am, kind of hiding out of the way. <laughs> I'm kind of living a life of hiding. I can't run away because of the mistakes that other people have made. My life's not as active. My life's not as full. My life's not as free. My grandfather used to be a king. Here I am living in obscurity, living away from everybody. Nobody really knows that I'm here. I mean, David is searching the kingdom trying to find somebody that even knows of anybody of the house of Jonathan and the house of Saul. And one guy knows. I mean, he's kind of living like a secret life here. And he's thinking, what's the message? Is the message death? Is the message prison? Is the king going to make my life harder? But the message was a message of kindness. Guys, don't ever forget this. When you think about Jesus coming to find you from where you were, you think about him. When he came to you where you were, maybe you were sitting in a church pew like I was. Maybe you were in another country and you didn't know about him. Maybe you were living a life of an obs- obscurity. Maybe you're living, hey, you're living with the consequences of other people. It wasn't your choice that made your life the way it is. It's the choices of others. It's the choices of grandfathers. Is the choices of grandmothers? Is the choices of those officials back where you came from? I don't know. The message from the king is the message of kindness. The message of kindness says this fear not. Immediately when he sees them, he's thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. And he says, fear not. I want you to be where I am. Can I say that about Jesus? When you think about Jesus, when you think about following him, you think about what is my purpose? What what does God want for me? He wants you to be where he is. Even to the point in John chapter 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. His entire plan is to come and give you the message of kindness to receive you unto himself so that we can be with him. Forever. But he wants you to live that life now as well in a spiritual way. The message was I want you to come and I want you to live with me and eat my food for the rest of your life. And he goes on to say, I will restore all of the lands that used to be Saul's, all of the family lands. What a king! What a king when you're sitting there and expecting the worst, when you're living in hiding. And you're thinking this is going to be awful. Come to my house, sit at my table, eat my food. There's a new king. The message was there's a new king and he's kind. And he wants you. We don't find that message. In this world very often. If someone has a position of power and authority. Usually they're looking for a way for you to give them something that they want. They're not necessarily looking for a way to give to you. They're looking for a way to. Hey come work for me so I can get out of you. What I want so that I can be bigger. They're not looking for just. I'm trying to find you so I can be kind. I want you to come so that I can give to you. So you can eat out of my coffers. And it is out of this position, if we go back to Ephesians chapter number four, it is from this position that we see the biblical instruction to be kind. We read the verses. In Psalm 117, O oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. It says in Ephesians 2 and verse number 7 that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. Toward us through Christ Jesus. So we'll look now that we've seen an incredible example in King David being kind to this lame man named Mephibosheth. Let's look at just a few points and then we'll be done. If we go back to Ephesians 4. And look at verse number 17. And we'll just pick out a few points here and we'll just look at when God is saying, add to your faith brotherly kindness. Again, in this context, this specific commandment instruction is specifically talking about the kindness that we show to other Christians. The next one, spoiler alert, is charity or agape love. And we know that we're supposed to be kind to others as well. And it's almost as if God is trying to teach us here, you need to practice Christianity with Christians so that you can practice Christianity with non-Christians. Practice it here. Practice it at church. Practice it properly with other people who believe the same as you. So that then you can go out there and you can practice it with non-Christians. You cannot do it properly out if you don't start by doing it in. You've got to practice it here. Practice it with one another. So let's look and see some specifics about being kind Let's look at verse number 17. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, each one of these verses, as I always say, so many verses in the Bible are like a multivitamin. They're so packed full of stuff. And we could do an entire series on each verse. We're not going to do that today. We're going to go through each of the verses from 17 all the way to the end of the, end of the chapter in 32. And, and some of them are collected together. But we're just going to look at some practical ways the Bible talks about being kind to the brethren. Being kind to other Christians. Practicing the law of kindness and love. Live the new birth is the first point. Live the new birth. This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that ye enforce. Henceforth, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. He's making the difference here between believers and non believers. Scripture, especially the New Testament, talks about this all the time the spiritual difference in the heart of those who are genuinely born again saved, they've trusted Christ as their savior, they're not depending on their own good works, they're not depending on their religion, they're not depending on uh, any of this stuff, They've, they've, they've rejected that. The Bible word is repentance. They've turned. They've allowed their mind to change. Now they've trusted Christ. And, be, and just like we read in 1 John chapter number three, where it's saying that if you pass from death unto life, then you will love the brethren. He's trying to say that new life that is in you, those new set of desires that you have because you've trusted Christ. Yeah, live that. Connect with that. Do that. Now, here's the difficulty, guys, is that we all still have the desire to do the old stuff, too. We still want to. We'll look at some of the other things. We still have the desire to live the old life the way that we used to think before. And he's saying, if you want to love the brethren, live the new life, live the life of Christ, the life of Christ that is within you. Live that. It's not, a, it's not, it's not, it's not biblically correct to say channel Jesus, but maybe that kind of helps us understand a little bit. It's not me conjuring up, oh, here we go. Here's Jesus, right? No, it's because I've trusted Christ as my savior. Hey, the Holy Spirit already lives inside of me. And when the opportunity comes for me to show a kindness to another believer, he's going to bring that up and say, Hey, say this. Hey, do that. Hey, do that. Hey, you see that opportunity? Hey, help them out. Hey, why don't you call them up? Hey, go to coffee with them. Live Christ. Let Christ come up and take over your mind and live your life. If you really want to show the law of kindness to Christians, let him live in you. It's not about self-improvement, but letting Christ live in you and through you. Verse number 23 says, Verse twenty one, if if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or the old lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The first thing is live the new birth, number two, let Jesus change your mind. When we hear his word, let yourself grow. If we're going to practice the law of brotherly kindness, if we're going to grow as a Christian, I'm going to have to allow God to change my mind when I hear his word. When I'm confronted with this, particularly today, this truth of, the, of brotherly kindness, I have to ask myself, am I doing that? Am I doing that? In this particular instance, am I practicing the law of brotherly kindness? If I want to practice the law of brotherly kindness, when I hear God's truth, I have to allow God's truth to change my mind. We talked about uh, in the previous lesson at the 10 o'clock about the conscience. Well, when I hear about the conscience, look, when I obey God's truth and I allow him to change my mind, that's better for you guys. Because then I'm an example of Jesus for you. And when you do it, You're an example of Jesus for me and for other people that are in your life. And so if I'm gonna practice the law of brotherly kindness, I'm not, listen, I'm not just just reading my devotions in the morning to get through my day. I'm also doing it so that the life of Christ comes out and I can then be of great value to other believers. That gives me such purpose for living. Christianity becomes very shallow when everything becomes about me. Self-love is natural. Jesus says, love others the way you love yourself. Self-love is a natural thing. We automatically love ourselves. We automatically do what we like to do. Self-love is normal. Self-love is natural. But we can take that way too far where my my life only consists of self-love. Jesus says, what about loving God? What about the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself and to love other believers? We know how to love other people. It's actually the same way that we love ourselves. So we just take that same with God's help and we show that to others. Let Jesus change your mind. Let him change the way you think. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The next one is this, verse number 22. We're gonna back up to this one. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old lifestyle, which is corrupt, According to the deceitful lust or deceitful uh, desires. We cannot follow the old desires. What about this one? Pursue purity. If you're going to love the brethren, you're going to have to pursue a sexually pure life. A sexually pure life. The Bible talks about... um, in, uh, in verse number 19, who being past feeling, speaking of unbelievers, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, lasciviousness is kind of this word of unbridled lust. It's describing the unbelieving world. And when, and when they're confronted with lust, they don't stop themselves at all. They throw off any restraint whatsoever and they it says that they completely pursue that with an attitude of greediness. I'm going to get all that I can get. I'm going to do all that I can. I'm going to jump into it and get everything. And God says if we're going to practice the law of brotherly kindness, we're going to do the opposite of that and we're going to pursue purity. We're going to pursue purity in a godly and a righteous way. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 goes into this in greater detail. And the summary of those verses is essentially talking about how each and every one of us should know how to possess his vessel. What does that mean? Let's use a driving illustration. Even if you ride TTC, you see crazy drivers out there. Amen. What do you think this is the first time this happened. I was, I was behind and driving around close to someone in a driver's uh, learning to drive car. It's got the little thing on top and the things on the side and they're in driving school. This guy was driving crazy. Usually they drive really slow and cautious. This guy was slamming on the brakes, ripping over into the other lane, driving forward really fast, ripping over. And I'm like, whoa, hey, control that vehicle. I'm thinking, where's the teacher? What are they doing? Huh? Sexually, it's supposed, Jesus is telling us the same thing. Hey, that body of yours, you need to control it. Oh, I can't. Nah, that's not true. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If I'm going to love the brethren, I'm not just going to get into the vehicle of my body, engage the lust and say, (laughs) Mm Mm-mm, that's not the way it works. That's not Christian love. Christian love is me thinking in a way that is pure. It's acting in a way that is pure. It is dressing in a way that is pure. Sexual purity. If I'm gonna live Christian love, if I'm gonna live like Jesus lived, if I'm gonna put on Christ, if I'm gonna practice brotherly kindness, I'm gonna pursue purity. It says in verse number 15, but speaking the truth. This one's easy. We're almost done. Speaking the truth. If I'm going to practice brotherly kindness, I'm going to have to tell the truth. Now, look, some people say that I'm just telling you the truth and they're actually trying to hurt you. Right? Come on now. Where's 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 the heart there? Speaking the truth. What does it say? Speaking the truth in. Speaking the truth in. Speaking the truth in. Love, speaking the truth in love, verse fifteen. Speaking the truth in love. Oh yeah, well, blah, 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 blah. man, that really hurt. Well, it's, 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 I'm just telling you the truth. But come on now, hey, isn't it isn't it incredible that Jesus knows everything about us? Every. But when he tells us the truth, he always does it with a heart like King David, where, oh, I'm trying to help you. I want you to grow. I'm trying to show you kindness. I want you from this conversation to get better for our relationship, not for the trust not to be destroyed, but for the trust to grow. If I'm going to practice brotherly kindness, I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to play, hey, let's ghost them, not tell them anything. Oh, I just unplugged. I'm unplugged. No, you're not. You're dodging. Tell them the truth. Amen. Man, that's good. Somebody needs to say that nowadays. It's good. Speak the truth in love. Aren't you thankful Jesus doesn't dodge us? We are members one of another. Look, if I'm lying to you, I don't really care about you. We're members one of another. This thumb is a member of my body. And if I really love that thumb, I'm not going to whack it with a, th- with a hammer on purpose. And if we really care for one another, we're not going to intentionally hurt one another with our words. Let's jump over. Let's look at verse 30. We'll look at 30, 31, 32, and then we'll be done for today. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit and do not grieve him. If you're about to do something or say something and God inside you says, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't look at that. Don't go there. Don't watch that. Then do it. Um, preachers from the old, from, from, from the deep South, not old South, but the deep South in the U S they would say, mind, the Holy ghost. Do we know that mind, mind, the Holy ghost, mind, mind, the Holy, listen to him. Look, if I, if, if I'm, I have a coach in my relationship with you and a coach in my relationship with my wife and that coach is the Holy spirit. And if I'm about to say something or do something or the Holy Spirit say, don't let, hold on a second, calm down, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, listen to him. That's how we show love to one another. Last two verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake I have forgiven you. You guys give me three minutes and I'll be done look at me please this we're gonna pretend like this is a real plant this is handy I grab this a lot for sermon illustrations it's a blessing we're gonna pretend like this is a, this is a real plant we're gonna pretend like it's grown for a bit okay now we're gonna pretend my wifes for me it's for a sermon it's okay we're gonna pretend like we're gonna pretend like something bad's happened to me I'm angry about it. I'm upset. Something bad, not something good, something terrible in a relationship. And we've got to understand that when something terrible happens to us, it's like a seed. And we put that seed in the soil. It's in our heart. It's in there. Isn't it? Is it true? Did it really happen? Did it hurt? Yeah, it really did. And you go to bed And you you can't stop thinking about it. And you get up the next morning and it's still there. It's not something little. It's not that somebody is rude to you in a line, even though it's funny how sometimes those things can stick in your mind sometimes. this This is a big thing. And so look, when you remember, listen, when you remember that, that somebody said to you or did to you, it's like a seed that goes into your heart. And every day, When you remember it, you have a choice to nurture it and think about it and think about the hurt. We're not denying it happened. It happened and it hurt. And if you're not careful, that pain will grow into bitterness. Unforgiveness is something that happened to you that whenever you remember it, you don't ask God to help you forgive it, but instead you water it and you groom it and you put it out in the sun and say, yeah, They did that to me and it hurt and you never visit the cross of Christ and what he did for you and say, God, they hurt me and it was real and it's awful and I'm trying to get over it and I just can't. Will you please help me to absorb this and suffer this just like you did on the cross? And it's when we're willing to do that, that the miracle of forgiveness occurs. Forgiveness is supernatural. Don't ever think it's natural. It's not natural. You're right. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And the power to forgive is found in the cross of Christ. And if you've never been saved, you don't have that power. But if you have been saved, you absolutely have that power. But you have to exercise that power by going to the cross of Christ and saying, Jesus, I know I hurt you. And you absorbed it. And you took it. And you think, well, if I had that attitude, then they would treat me bad again. They'll get away with it. That, listen, that attitude is natural, but that's the attitude of an atheist. Because an atheist doesn't believe that there is a God that can do two things. Give them victory over the offense. And there's not a God that will one day give them what they deserve if they do not repent. Forgiveness is the ultimate exercise in faith. Pastor, you don't know. You're right, I don't. But we don't forgive because I know. We forgive because he knows. There are some of us that have stopped growing because we refuse to forgive. We refuse. That's like Christ hanging on the cross and rotting and staying up there forever and ever and ever and ever and never making it to the tomb. And never rising in victory. I want to rise from victory. Then let him. Instead of going when you revisit that pain. Go to him and say God please today. Please right now. Give me the grace to forgive. Give me the grace to forgive. Give me the grace to forgive. And the bitterness he'll give healing. We are healed by his stripes. Is that what it says? Some people want to make that out to be some kind of like, oh, there's no disease if you believe in Jesus. That is not what it's talking about. Let me tell you something. Most of us suffer from, from having been hurt and, and feelings of bitterness and anger and frustration and malice, and I want to hurt them back. That's the kind of healing he can bring to you. If you just come to him, he was able to forgive the whole world. don't you think he can help you forgive that one thing? It doesn't mean you let them back in to do it again. It means that you're not holding them responsible for it. It means you're trusting God with the justice of it. I'm going to trust you to deal with this. I am not going to have a fantasy every day of what they did to me and I'm not going to pour water and help it grow and have a fantasy of getting them back and I'm going to sneak into their house and I'm going to do this. I'm going to burn their house down. I'm going to kill their kids and people just go off in their mind and they go crazy. And those people live in a dark place. How does it manifest itself? You know what? They have a really hard time being kind to people because in their heart, they've harbored bitterness. Will you give it to them today? Will you start to give it to them today? I just read something recently about a man that had been, he didn't say specifically what happened, but it had, it had hurt him for so long. He said it took him 30 years before he finally felt free but every time it came up he revisited the cross God help me everybody bow your heads please and close your eyes